We created magical experiences and everything that I did as a finance person, I thought of a four-year-old princess and a four-year-old pirate. And what was my day in finance going to do to impact their journey? Welcome to Action This, practical wisdom from experienced management pros, a podcast series featuring a stacked roster of industry guests dishing about what it really takes for brands to thrive. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Action This podcast by Chatter. I am your host, Zach Hamilton, and I am so excited for today's discussion. You guys can't see Sean right now, but um, we're going to get into his previous uh, experience at uh, at Disney. His back wall is all Disney. But um, before, Sean, we, we have our, our conversation. Let me just give you guys a quick intro into Sean. Uh, Sean is an experience evangelist, a human-centered designer, neurodiversity advocate, best-selling author, top global podcaster, international speaker. Sean believes the only way to build a sustainable and thriving business is to put people first. Sean, I love that. Um, as an experienced evangelist and an and experienced ecosystem designer, Sean unapologetically challenges leaders to blow up outdated silo systems and rebuild them with an aligned human first approach. That's how we connected. <laughs> this includes aligning customer and employee experience with a heavy dose of leadership development, cultural transformation, and marketplace awareness. After spending time, listen to this, guys, spending time as the chief experience and cultural transformation officer for Healthways, the chief innovation officer at Xavier University right there in Cincinnati, and also six years as an Imagineer for the Walt Disney Company and Disney Cruise Line, which I think, Sean, everyone has a love um, deeper maybe than others of Disney and maybe have dreamed at one point working for Disney. After all this experience, Sean launched Mophie. He is proud to say that Mophie is leading the way in helping companies rethink their experience ecosystems, which we all know and we're going to talk about today definitely needs a radical transformation uh, to increase revenue, create higher employee retention and change people's lives for the better. As a neurodiverse Native American and parent of two neurodiverse diverse children, he wants to build a world that's filled with heart-centered people-first design where all voices are honored. Mm, that's incredible, Sean. <laughs> Welcome to the Action This Podcast. How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Zach, it is... Um... It's an honor to to be with you and on the podcast and to talk about the things that I know both you and I love dearly and deeply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I'm so excited for this because there's so much to unpack. I love reading the bios, um, not because I want to set it up as, hey, look at this guy, but you bring so much relevance to the experience um, community today. You are very well known. Uh, and I also love just some of your background story, right? Your children and um, how you're really creating better experiences for for the life that they deserve to live, right? And we can yeah. talk a little, we can talk a little bit about that. So really, really excited. But Sean, I always kick off the podcast with with asking the first question around. Tell us about your journey. And the reason why I like to ask this question is we know. There's no formal education process to become a customer experience or employee experience practitioner. We all have landed in our roles because of some type of passion. So 
Tell us, what's your journey? How did you get into customer experience? Yeah, well, I mean, Zach, uh, if you heard from my bio, you know, a logical career move, right? So uh, uh, what I don't have in my bio is that uh, my first career was a professional musician. Um, so studying music, I uh, have a background in piano and voice. Um, and that's what actually led me to go to work for Disney in uh, 2005. Um, you know, and after that, being a professional musician, um, I was a pastor. Um, and my wife and I uh, worked on in many churches across our country. And we were living in Orlando, and we felt it was time to, uh, to take a break um, in our life and focus on our family. And we'd been trying to have kids for 10 years and weren't able to. And uh, my wife looked at me one night at dinner and said, we live in Orlando. Why don't you go to work for Disney? And we've always been a Disney family um, and couple. I grew up at Disneyland on the West Coast. Um, and I said, OK. So the next day, I actually went and applied to uh, casting, as it's called at Disney. Went into casting and applied and thought nothing of it. And I actually got a call um, to work in a department um, which was known as Revenue and Currency Control. So here I am, a finance guy, but got a call to work in finance, right? Like some music to finance. And um, if, if people know anything about music, Zach, music is numbers. So I really do understand finance really well. Um, and I took the job and my first office, I tell people um, at Disney was an amazing office. It was in the tunnels at the Magic Kingdom in Disney World, right underneath Cinderella's castle. So I could hear every show that happened on on Cinderella's stage. And um, just um, my time at Disney was incredible. Um, the amount of effort they put into their cast and to cast members is uh, like I've never seen any other company. And they had a really easy journey to move through the company and to get promoted. And I just followed that. I'm an aggressive guy. I don't want to always stay. Um, I think I had eight positions in my um, tenure at Disney, um, but was really honored um, my last you know times there uh, as a Walt Disney Imagineer. And there's not a lot of Walt Disney Imagineers um, in the country. Um, it's a very honored role to be in. Um, I think when I applied for that role, 250 people applied for it and how I got it, I still say the good Lord above or somebody was looking out after me. And um, that's how my journey into experience began. Um, and what's interesting is my journey into experience, Zach, was in a finance role. So that's what I don't always tell people on stage till the very end is I actually controlled the budget. Um, so the people that, the person that so many people hate in this world of experience, you know this, Zach, they hate finance people, they hate legal people, they hate compliance, right? Um, I was that person. But I learned how, as a, a cast member, I used to tell people, and I still say it from stage, we created magical experiences. And everything that I did as a finance person, I thought of a four-year-old princess and a four-year-old pirate. And what was it going to do? And what was my day in finance going to do to impact their journey? Because as we know, there are families that save years to come to Walt Disney World. Um, and it's their dream vacation. Um, you know, many of us who have been there so many times, you know, I, I call it first world problems, right? Like 
it's what park do we go to? But there are people that come and that started the journey. And through that journey, got introduced to human-centered design in the Stanford D School. Um, and then all of a sudden the time came in our journey and our family um, that we wanted to start a family. Um, and I will shout out to Disney for this one too. Um, my wife wasn't able to get pregnant, so we adopted our daughter, uh, newborn in Orlando, um, and Disney paid 90% of that adoption. Wow. Um, yeah, right? Like, um, so, and I got an MBA in finance through Disney that they paid for. So many people know in the industry that Disney pays below industry average, but when you get those types of benefits, you know, I had a $100,000 MBA program paid for. Our daughter was paid for by the mouse. <laughs> Um, and we couldn't afford it at the time, right? But that was our way of being able to adopt. Um, but the time came um, when my daughter was six months old, and I, I, I'll never forget this, because this was really about experience. Um, I walked into the bathroom of our house, and my wife was standing in the shower crying um, in the morning, first thing in the morning. And of course, as a husband, I thought to myself, what did I say? What did I do? <laughs> All right. Right. Like just start our day off this way. And she, she said to me, I waited. I, you can hear our son who is uh, here. She said, I waited 10 years to be a mom. And what, what happened the day before is our daughter started crawling at daycare. And she said, I waited 10 years to be a mom and here I am missing these milestones. And I said, okay. I said, go turn your two week notice in. I said, but you know what that means? And we, I didn't even have to say it. We knew I had to start to potentially look. Um, and Disney came back with offers, but then I got headhunted um, into Humana, into the healthcare space. Um, and did a journey there around experience, member experience and innovation. Um, and then that's when I got recruited to Xavier as chief innovation officer in higher ed. Um, and, you know, I tell people that's where my biggest career mistake was made because I stood up in a meeting on in this journey. I stood up in a meeting and someone asked me, what, how would you um, innovate higher ed? And I said, I would do away with tenure, not realizing that 75% of the room had tenure. Um, so my stint as chief innovation officer in higher ed was pretty short, about 16 months. And that's when I started Mophie. Um, and that's when I said, we are going to focus on the human and we're gonna focus on experience around relations. Um, because what was hard for me, Zach, is I, you know, I worked for Disney. That was my first corporate job. I thought every company was like that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Come to know. Um, hell no. <laughs> not every company is like that. And even when I went to Humana, um, Humana was in this huge shift of be wanting to not be known as an insurance company, but as a wellness company. And they were throwing tons of money into member experience. And I was able to be in that. So I thought, well, don't all companies do this? And as we know, not all companies do this. Yeah, Sean, that's an incredible story and journey and so much to unpack there. <laughs> I wanna go back and unpack a few things. And I think one of the biggest takeaways that I had from this is 
you started in finance, right? And and you're so right. Like I think about some stakeholder nemesis that I continue to hear, you know, from so many different brands is finance and legal, finance and legal. And very, very few customer experience or even employee experience practitioners or leaders truly understand how to bring finance and legal along for the ride, right? And what I mean about bringing them along for the ride to understand why, you know, you are, how you're trying to connect the dots, how you're trying to influence the organization. And the key bullet point that I just picked up from you, Sean, is when you were in finance, when you were working with your stakeholders, you were thinking through how's this going to impact the princess and the pirate. You were thinking through how is this going to impact that end user experience that that four-year-old pirate that eight-year-old princess right who they dreamed of going to disney world they dream of being a princess they had their favorite princesses they walk around the park in their princess dresses they go to the bippity boppity boutique in the castle and they do all these things and so that is such a powerful lesson i'm curious how did you get there how did that radical shift in thinking come from you being in finance in your first career at Disney? <laughs> and you're thinking about the princess and the pirate. I'm curious, how did you get there? Because we could have this entire conversation or this chat around how to get finance to think about the end user journey, but like give them the magic bullet if you could. Yeah. So I think, um, Zach, it, it goes back to something that um, I was really honored in the beginning of the pandemic, um, a very dear friend of mine, Michael Harper, who's a works and a business partner at Mophie and another friend of ours, Robin Glasgow, we wrote a book called Kiss Your Dragons. Um, and it talks about radical relationships and bold heart sets and changing the world. Um, it's a heart thing. And I think that's what's hard is we have tried to take the heart out of business. And especially you're a C-suite person, Zach, right? Like C-suite people have to have this look and have to be a certain way. And th- we take the heart out of it. And and there's a simple three-part sermon I preach. And so this is to get to your, to get to your uh, answer is I don't know that I had a magic moment. Um, I'm a pastor at heart. So I, I am called to serve people. Um, and when that meant leaving the four walls of a church, um, I tell people this, um, I had to leave the four walls of the church, probably more importantly, because this thing, this concept in the world I lived in, in church of a cussing pastor was not good. And (laughs) I like to see, I like to say shit, hell, damn, fuck, and probably can't do that as a pastor really well. Right. Um, but I do put it down to three simple things and. We actually, um, we put it in um, the book, and it's called My Three-Point Sermon, um, and our team laughs about it, and it's this. As a leader or anybody that works with people, the magic bullet is this. You need to be transparent in organizations. Quit hiding things from your employees. Quit not talking about things with your employees. Be transparent with them. Tell them this is where the organization is. Um, Build relationships. 
Um, you know, I, I had a moment when I worked with the CEO, um, dear friend of mine, Sean Slavinsky. We were working at Healthways, as we mentioned in my uh, bio. And one day he texted me and he said, let's go to the call center, which was like the floor below. And we walked in there and we were walking around the call center and we were watching people um, do what they were supposed to do, follow the script, right? And I remember he bent down, Zach, and he unplugged a whole bank of computers. And like these coaches, these are wellness coaches, some nurses, they just get this look on their face. And he said to them, talk to them like they're human and build a relationship with them. He said, turn around and don't even look at the computer screen. And I was like, it's about building relationships. So be transparent, build relationships. And the other thing, man, is you gotta love people. And if you don't love people, why in the hell are you in leadership? <laughs> Be an individual contributor and get out. Yeah. I, Sean, I think that's those, there's some really good points in there, right? I think the first one is it's really about keeping the heart in business. And I think that's one of those intangibles that – over the course of my career now working with some of the most incredible brands globally is especially when you get to that C-suite level, maybe even one level below, it's all about the P&L. Huh. We, for, we forget that, that our customers and our people are employees. I'm sorry, our customers and our employees are people. They're not machines. Right. And they just look at this PL of top line growth, bottom line EBITDA, all these things is like machines. Like we're just this machines that we're automatically they come back and, and make a purchase from you. We're going to show up to work the next day. And I think there, if anything has proved come out of, of, of the pandemic, is really about putting the heart back into organizations today, like you said. Uh, but I want to tap into something else that that you also said there is you and I have talked about this a couple of times is operational execution, regardless if it's in the front line of retail stores and the contact center, all those things and practitioners, right? So experienced professionals and call center leaders and operational leaders, they spend so much time developing scripts because they think it's going to drive more better operational execution, better efficiencies, all these things. And I think to your point, it's, it's taken the heart out of business, but why do you foundationally believe Sean that we've become a business community of scripts, scripts, and scripts? Well, listen, so, remember, I have an MBA in finance, right? So I, I tell people you don't do experience or you don't do innovation just to do it. So first off, quit checking the box. If you're not going to really do it as an organization and lean into it, don't say you're going to do it. Uh, you know, uh, we've done a lot of work in healthcare and, um, you know, the patient experience movement um, that hospitals and everyone's doing, but they're checking a box. Um, I just actually had a conversation this morning with some friends of mine 
And I said, in 10 years, we haven't moved the needle at all in experience. And I actually think that's the same in the world of CX. And I know you and I get controversial um, when we say things, right, Zach? But just quit focusing on the numbers and focus on the humans. Yeah. And the business numbers will come, you know, and, and you recently wrote a, a blog around, so you know, your MPS is 72. So what? So what? Yeah. That doesn't, you know, if you have unhappy people sitting in those seats and that was that moment when Sean did that at that bank of computers and, and there was a joke in the building, like I had a handler um, in the building um, because I like to disrupt a lot. And so they would start texting and be like, Sean and Sean are on the move. They're going here. And before we knew it, we would have four or five executives and people. And I remember when he unplugged that and he turned around and the head of the call centers was standing right there. And he said, why have we dehumanized these people? That's what scripts have done, you know, and then this whole movement in our world around BPO's business process outsourcing, right? We're going to outsource call centers. And, I, and I'm not trying to be too controversial with this, but those are all scripts. Yeah. Follow script. Be as right? radical as you want, Sean. This is <laughs> well, the podcast. I'm like, why are we outsourcing? Why are we outsourcing the most valuable source we have in an organization because if you're having someone call an 800 number or your customer service line or whatever you call it and you are not equipping them with the tools that they need and empowering them with the decision making then shut the call centers down like it, it just it's bs to me right and i don't it's frustrating i get mad about it um, because I'm like, stop this, you know, and you need to hire smart people who are smart and problem solvers and can do what they need to do, you know, and this was a wellness company Zach. so these are people that are trained in wellness. These are nurses. These are, and we have them scripting what they needed to say to a patient. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I want to I want to double click on the point that you just made around, and there's so many points we could double click on. Is you know you made the statement that in the last ten years, customer experience, employee experience, I call it experience, right? To me, it's all about the experience because it's a human experience. It's customers, it's employees, it's brand experience, it's product experience, it's service experience. I don't think it needs to be distinguished. It's just experience, but it hasn't really moved forward. No. In the last 10 years, right? And, and I made a LinkedIn post the other day that showed, um, you know, some different studies around from Accenture, right? Who said, um, right now, retail brands are losing $1.6 trillion a year uh, in, in bad experiences. And um, the Independent Council, right, um, said that, hey, this year alone in, in, in 2022, brands will spend $640 billion in investment. Yeah, if you look at the ACSI index, which I'm not a big index person, but we'll use this to frame it up. Over the last four years, it, it continues to just decline year over year. Decline. Right? And so my question for you is, when you think about this, what do you see 
as the biggest challenge to customer experience today and why are experienced leaders struggling to move the needle forward within their organizations by connecting the dots and influencing? So uh, I'll say this first. Um, and I was just in your neck of the woods. I um, spoke at a conference and I, I said this and the CEO of the CXPA organization was in the room. Um, and I actually sat with him and had lunch with him. Um, and I said, we in the CX industry, for the context of that conversation, have done it to ourselves. And I know, Zach, you and I think uh, alike on this, right? Like, we call it customer experience. Um, and what we did at Mophi, um, and this happened in 2021, Michael uh, Harper and I were walking one day and we were talking and struggling through, um, because at Mophi, we've gone through four iterations of who we are. That's just, we live that. We were talking about this next iteration and he had been reading about ecosystems um, and this concept. And I just looked at him and I said, kind of like an experience ecosystem, <laughs> right? And, and so if you go to our website at Mophi, we have it there and it says, an experience ecosystem is the web of people, touch points and systems that combine to define the experiences of everyone who interacts with an organization. And to leverage experience as a competitive advantage, one that increases engagement, loyalty, and revenue year after year requires engaging and humanizing the entire ecosystem. So it does go back to what you just said. When are we gonna quit looking at customer experience, digital experience, employee experience, marketing, leadership, culture, all of that, as silos and mm -hmm. as one thing. And that is what organizations like Disney, Chick-fil-A, Nordstrom's, the Ritz, they look at it as a holistic picture. Um, and that right there is what I believe will drive business results. I know it because yeah. I've implemented it. Um, but as an industry, we just want to call it CX, but it's not CX. It's experience, just what you said, Zach, it's experience. And we have to look at this experience ecosystem in a very different light, um, or, or we're gonna still be in the same place in 10 years. Yeah, uh, Sean, I 100% agree. I'm with you when it comes to systems, right? I, I, I'm not sure if you've ever listened to the book, Atomic Habits. Oh yeah. One of my favorite quotes in there, right, is, you will not rise to the level of your goals. You will fail to the level of your systems. And that has just been such an incredible um, impact on my life, right? Because I always look at the goals that I set, but it, for such a long time, I never look at the systems that I had developed. And I think that's the exact same thing if you think about experience today. Brands think that, quote unquote, customer experience is a freaking MPS score. Like it is nails on a chalkboard. When I hear someone say, I need to set up an NPS program within my organization. <laughs> and, and so like I have now kind of stolen from the atomic habits. So I would say, look, your NPS score will only rise to the level of the systems that you have built. 
And so I want to double click on this systems thing, but I want us to riff for a second on NPS. Why do you think brands have become so reliant on what is our NPS and how does it compare to competitor X, Y, or Z? Well, my opinion is they want to be, you know, they want to be on, you know, a Becker's report or a Gallup report or, you know, one of those reports to say, you know, we're the most, you know, we've got the highest MPS score. Um, and the, again, I think it's to check a box, not to really dig in and um, and build the system like you're talking about. And, and listen, systems are hard for me. Um, I'm an all over the place guy, but you have to have systems. Um, and if you've ever read um, Lee Cockrell's book, Creating the Magic, he's the one that systematized everything at Disney um, to, to bring that to life. Um, I just wish, uh, and, you know, I remember sitting on um, the National Retail Federation conference, the last one they had in New York before the pandemic, and I sat on a panel, and the room's full of people that are measuring NPS, right? And I said, you need to quit measuring NPS. Stop it. And you could just kind of feel the air suck out of the room, right? And the, uh, like they didn't know what to say to me. And I'm like, listen, focus on your people. That number will come. Don't focus yep. on the metric. Focus on the people and build a system and get, again, give them the tools and empower them to make the decisions they need to make. Chatter by Stingray proudly presents Action This. Let's have a chat. Visit chatterresearch.com to try out our online feedback demo and experience the chatter effect. It's, it's so interesting. The book that you mentioned, Creating Magic, um, that is one of the very first books that I read. It still sits on my, my bookshelf. I also have How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? By, yep. um, uh, what's his name? Dan, uh, uh, let me see if I can see it. Dan Cockerell. Yeah, so right. that's that's Lee's son who became um, president of Magic Kingdom. So Lee Lee said it, and then Dan took it over and, and wrote that book. And Dan's an amazing guy, too, of, you know, you, you live and you eat and you breathe this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, two fan, two fantastic books, right? And and going back to the NPS, it's I get I get asked one question is always, what's your favorite benchmark? Is it NPS, CSAT, OSAT, like customer effort score? There's a metric now for everything, and I always say my favorite metric is the one that inspires your organization to take action. Yeah, pick a metric. We know this, right? What gets measured should be what gets improved, but. In that blog that you mentioned, you know, hey, my NPS is 72, and I say, so what? It, it, it brings it back, and I'll set the stage for it because it's going to thrust us in the next question is, that was one of the leading North American retailer CEOs who said, my NPS is 72. I'm not for sure the value of this call. And Sean, I remember just saying, I leaned in and said, so what? Because when I look at your customer feedback instance, the same topics that are trending in negative sentiment analysis this month have been trained in negative for the last 18 months. And so although the NPS is a little bit more reflective about the brand, 
you are not delivering great experiences to your customers who visit you probably on a weekly, bi-weekly basis, and you're not creating that competitive differentiation. So here's a question I have for you. Many of us have this radical shift of who freaking cares about the benchmark? Put the benchmark aside. Can you tell us a little bit about, expand a little bit more on experience ecosystems, how you leverage them in your own experience career before you started your consultancy firm? So what is the experience system? How have you leveraged it? And why is this still a radical shift in the way that brands design their experience strategy today? So I'll, I'll preface it with this. I, I don't remember who posted this on LinkedIn. I believe it um, was a gentleman that I follow, Robin Daniels. And he posted a, a survey yesterday. And he said, should sales report to marketing or should marketing report to sales? Um, and I actually, I said to them, neither. And I wrote in my comment, I said, because we're thinking about it in an old system. Um, and I am a firm believer that every organization, you are one of these uh, in an organization's act, should have a chief experience officer or chief customer officer, but not for the sake of checking the box. Again, we're back to checking the box things. There's a lot of organizations that have chief experience officers and they have no authority within the organization. And when we did this turnaround um, at Healthways, uh, I went to the CEO and I said, I want to own every touch point of the member. So that meant sales, marketing, product, call centers, every piece that our member touched. Because I said, the only way we're going to turn this around is if we expand this table and get all the right people at the table from the very beginning. That's what I learned at Disney. Get all the right people at the table. So no one in this world should be kicking off any experience project or any project like that and not have legal and compliance, not have finance, not have all those touch points at the table. Um, and that's where I see the biggest, I mean, you talked about it, how many billions of dollars are going to get spent, but yet satisfaction still going down, right? Um, and so that's this whole experience ecosystem concept is make sure you have all those people at the table. Make sure when you're making business decisions, all the right people are at the table and give that chief experience officer or give that chief customer officer the power to make decisions. That, to me, in an organization, that person's just as important as a COO um, because that's how you will drive it and you will get there. Yeah, so powerful. I, I, we've, we've touched so many points. I think, you, you know, you mentioned it. Disney's been probably the most influential just because you've learned so much there. I want to shift the conversation real quick around, you know, the passion that you have for your, for your children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we mentioned that they're neurodiverse um, and you want to build a world that's filled with heart centered people um, really for your kids. So can you yeah. just tell us a little bit about your kids? What do you mean by neurodiverse and why has this become a passion for you to, to really change the world? 
So it's gonna it's gonna lead. Let me lead with this. Um, again, remember a pastor's heart. I want to serve people. Um, I want to help people be the best that they can be. Um, and so, one thing that's not talked about in the world in corporate America is neurodiversity. In the aspect of a space of safety to say, I'm a neurodiverse executive, right? So it took me until the pandemic to get to a point when I could talk about it. And it's only because the pandemic sent me into a deep depression personally. Um, it, it affected our business. It, it was, I was trying to figure out what to do. And those of you that don't understand stuff like this, like I was a I was a road warrior. I traveled 200 nights a year and overnight you're back home. You know, it was pressure on my family because I'm back in the house every day. Like they have their own routines. Um, and that's when I officially di got diagnosed as neurodiverse because um, I have ADHD, ADD um, and depression. Um, and I'm on medication for that. Um, and I started to think, how many other men in this world are, are sitting feeling what I'm feeling today? Um, and that started to drive my passion first was for men in the world who are fathers, husbands, business owners, executives, you know, uh, go to church, don't go to church, are all active. And I realized during the pandemic when I woke up one morning and said, what am I doing for myself? Um, and I realized I couldn't be the best husband or the best dad in that. So I started to dig into that. And then that opened my eyes because I'm home a lot, um, was home a lot during the pandemic. Um, I watched my children go through it. I have a 13 year old, she's got ADHD. Um, she deals with some trauma of being adopted. Um, even though we adopted her at birth, there's still some trauma around that and separation anxiety and stuff. And she's on medication for that. And so I see the world through her lens. Um, and then God gifted us with um, our son, uh, who will be seven in May. Um, he was born 10 weeks early um, and we adopt when we, and we adopted him. He was, He's been diagnosed with childhood apraxia, so he has some speech issues, then diagnosed with autism, and then most recently diagnosed with epilepsy and seizure disorders. Um, and let me tell you, when you start to look at the world through his eyes and experiences uh, how the world is set up, um, it scares the shit out of me, Zach. Um, we don't have a world built for him. Um, and companies don't build experiences for him. Um, part of the reason we still do Disney cruises as our family vacation is there's something for each of us on those cruises and he enjoys them and my daughter enjoys them and my wife and I enjoy them. Um, and that's, that's where I got my passion around all of that was through my journey and then looking through their journey. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I think I had lost some of that recently and those that follow me on LinkedIn know that I was recently diagnosed with colon cancer and going through that. And Zach, I know you've been on a journey, but in those moments, those are the oh hell moments. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, at 49 years old to be diagnosed. And I'm thinking, is this world ready for him and for her? And I got to go do something. And I, I, I have to go make the world a better place. So um, just in the past couple of days, I made a decision um, that I'm going to start hosting retreats for leaders, um, particularly men. Um, and they're going to be very different. But anyone that knows me, surprise, surprise, experience yeah. driven, right? Um, and going to host my first one in August and say, if you want to blow shit up and challenge the status quo, this is the type of thing you <laughs> want to attend, right? Um, because I want to make the world a better place and I want to make people a better place. And um, I think there's a huge need um, in this world um, to see men and women and diversity, we had talked about D. Yeah. God, you know, I think that's what the pandemic taught me most. And I think businesses need to realize that is that's where the heart has to come back in. Yeah. Um, and people are purpose driven. People are quitting their jobs because they, they would rather not have money and live in purpose than have money and not live in purpose. Yeah. You know, Sean, thank you for sharing that. I know it takes a lot of courage and, and being brave to share what you just shared about yourself and, and your family and your kids. And, you know, when you were talking about your daughter and your son, I was I was thinking back on. Am I helping this world design experiences for those who are neurodiverse? or have autism or ADHD or epilepsy or any other disability out there. And I think this is that lesson of putting the heart back into business because I think the answer to all that and all of us as practitioners, if we're truly being real with ourselves, we have to answer that as no. Because what we look at is, we look at customer cohort segmentation. We look at the data that we have. And if we were to take a look at your son when he turns 20, it is here's your son who's a male, um, 20 years old. Um, he might live at this specific residence. He shops with us, you know, three times a month. This is what he buys. And here's his average basket size. And he shops online with us and he picks up curbside. No one ever puts the human back into that experience to say, and here's an incredible kid who has the disabilities that he has, and he's he's out there and is adult and working and all these things. And I think I I'm gonna challenge every practitioner listening to this right now to look at your strategy and honestly answer the question. Would I look at anyone with a disability differently? Because you don't always get that through data. And this is why you have to put the human back into business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, go out, uh, same thing to practitioners that are, are going to listen to this. Go look at your personas you've built. Go look at your journey maps you've built. Um, have you included the neurodiverse in those? Um, and, and I love where you said that. And I, I, I've said this several times from the stage. As a practitioner community and as a as experienced people, quit leading with data. Lead with the human and allow data to validate, but don't lead with data. That's so powerful, Sean. That's so powerful. I know we have a few minutes left, 
There's one question that I love to ask everyone. We all have our own unique personality, our own unique brand. As you know, if you follow LinkedIn, I'm a sneakerhead. I have different Jordans on all the time. What is that one thing for you? Like, what is that one thing that says, yep, that is Sean Nason? Um, well, uh, I, I have a tag called Band on Fire, um, and that started because of my hair. Um, not that my hair caught on fire, but um, I've been known to have every color hair in the book. Um, and it's funny because right now I've gone back to a natural color, but gone to a different hairstyle. And I can walk into a room and, and where people would normally know me and they don't see me because I don't have that hair right now. Um, and I think that's it. I think my hair and I think that I'm just a no BS person. Um, you know, when people ask me to speak, I'm like, are you sure? Because, uh, you know, uh, and are you comfortable that I show up in, you know, uh, a shorts? Uh, I remember we were very fortunate to work with the number one company in the world. Um, and uh, we were doing an event one day and the C global CEO was coming in. Um, and I had sh dress shorts on and a button up shirt and some Cole Hans. And everyone asked me, it was like five minutes before he was supposed to be there. Everyone asked me, said, um, are you going to go change? And I said, change what? They're like, you're in shorts and he's coming. I'm like, and I put my shorts on the same way he put his pants on. This yeah. is who you get. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny, Sean, that last point is. Um, it kind of reminds me, I, I went to speak at an organization kind of very similar to yours and I had on Jordans and I said, look, I will, I will no, no longer negotiate who I am to fit into a culture. And there are so many people who, and, and incredible experienced practitioners who are better at this game than what I am grabbed in to talk. Right. But. I'm not going to come. And I, this is what I got from Brene Brown. I absolutely love Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. Is I will no longer negotiate who I am to fit into your organizational culture because then I no longer belong to myself. And if we are true human centered organizations, whether it is about an employee or a customer, it's all about belonging to ourselves because we're all unique individuals. Yeah. Um, and, and listen. Um, I love that about you, Zach. And I love that's like, I'm not for everybody. Mofi, you know, our design firm, we made a very conscious choice last year and we put it very public. It's on the front page of our website. It says a human obsessed, maverick minded design firm ready to rethink your entire ecosystems. And we say mavericks think differently. They challenge the status quo speak up when people and systems need attention, and they're not afraid to dream big, stand up for what is right, and take a few risks along the way. And that's if, right. that, if you're not that organization, or if you're not that leader, then Mophie's not for you. But I know some really great people that could be for you. And yeah. Love it, man. I absolutely love it. This has been such a great chat. Um, I, I know for, for anyone who's listening that just wants to continue to pick Sean's brain about, you know, experience systems or redesigning through a human centric approach. If you just look at the landing page, um, we'll have all of Sean's contact details where you can reach awesome. him on LinkedIn. You can visit, um, you know, Mophie's website and stay connected with Sean. But Sean, it's, it's been a blast. 
thank you so much for challenging the status quo, challenging the experienced professionals to think differently, especially around not being score obsessed, but really being experience obsessed and uh, looking forward to staying connected. Thanks for, thanks for joining the show. You too, brother. Thanks for tuning in. For more on consumer insights and experience the chatter effect, visit chatterresearch.com.